We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What can early 2022 redraft ADP tell us about dynasty values? That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, you had this great idea for today. We have some other ideas we're kicking around for the upcoming weeks and months. This sounded like a really fun one. You just gave me a really good example player. So why don't we kick it off with uh, with that thought? Yeah, we've got some great evergreen content that we're excited to get out in the next couple of months. We kind of want to do a fun show today where we look at some players, we look at some drafts, we look at some different formats. And Ben, you have been involved in some cool drafts recently on ship chasing. And I think earlier this week, sort of a, a standalone draft that we'll be uh, excited to talk about. I had a chance to draft last Friday night with Colin Kelly, obviously my overtime co-host, and Zachary Kruger, who's done some great best ball content for us. We did that sort of in the middle of the night, Ireland time. So Colin was uh, especially, I think, the star of that one since you know he was he was doing it groggy at, at three o'clock in the morning. But one of the interesting developments early on is just to kind of see and to have it verified for you where the second year guys are going to go. Now, we talk all the time about wanting to create as much exposure to the second year wide receivers as possible because they do tend to take a big leap in that year and that gap between what they end up doing, especially the guys, and it's not going to be all of them, but especially the guys who then take that jump to sort of star status and are clear, you know, second, third round picks going forward. The gap between that and what they cost in year two that's usually the gap that allows you to win leagues. But we don't know for sure just how expensive it's going to be to risk. We had Peter Overzet on our last show. He did a fantastic job, as you would expect. And one of the things that he noted was a little bit of a trap last year is just this rising cost for Brandon Ayuk as drafts went throughout the full course of the year. And that you can get into a situation where there's not a lot of upside left because of the price. So we don't know. And... One of the early things, and one of the reasons why I think these early best ball drafts are a lot like Christmas is you start to find out you know, where the ADP is going to be. And we know that even though these drafts are early and a lot's going to change, there's an anchoring effect off of these early prices. And so one of the people who jumps out, 
I think, right now, especially when you consider that he was injured down the stretch. I mean, then it just the 2021 draft season, or I guess the fantasy season, uh, was one of my favorite ever. Had so many really fun results. If there was one thing I could change, it would be to go back and make Elijah more active in week 17 and have him on that best ball roster. And I think at times I my thought process on it was a little bit enthusiastic in terms of what he might have scored. And then you look at these early drafts and he's into the fourth round. And you're like, well, I mean, maybe last year it wouldn't have been there, but people are really expecting him to be a star going forward. And this was also kind of an interesting one. We do like to talk about some of the, the really good trade offers that we get in our personal dynasty leagues. And in our team here with the Rotoviz Triflex format, we had a cool one come in this week, which is Travis Kelsey and Josh Jacobs coming to us, but we would have to give up Elijah Moore and the 104. And so one of the things that we can kind of do today is look at that and see, not just with those guys, but how the values are going to play out and what we think these early prices tell us about dynasty trade values as well, kind of where the market is going to be. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting one, as you noted, with more you were saying to me, you know, before we came on that we're seeing him go in the fourth round of so many of these early best balls. If he's going that high, I mean, obviously, as you sort of alluded to, that's a very positive thing in terms of his dynasty value. I mean, you said it very well before we started. You were like, there's obviously optimism he could break out this year, but you also have this longer window. He could break out next year. He could break out or he could be this, you know, solid player over multiple seasons. You know, that's the advantage of a young player. We have this runway as well. His value is definitely higher than even that in Dynasty. The question is sort of how much higher. But uh, I, I love this concept generally. This is a concept you go way back to our buddy Brian Malone, who used to do work for Rotoviz. He used to do work for DLF back in the day. He used to always talk about this concept where almost every year there, there are these gaps between redraft ADP and dynasty ADP that don't make any sense in terms of, or maybe there aren't gaps and there should be because it's a young player. And it's like, well, why are they going in the exact same spot of both of, of dynasty startups and redraft formats when, when this player's young and, you know, could potentially, if they hit gain a lot of dynasty value essentially. Right. So there's, the inefficiencies every year in these two markets that are worth looking at. But the way that you've sort of framed it for today's show is, is to look at some of this early redraft ADP and then sort of use that to inform where guys should be going in dynasty. Cause I don't know how much we have in terms of startup ADP. I'm sure there's been some startups, but more in the fourth means, means what Sean? I mean, he's at least a, a third round startup then. Yeah. And it's going to depend a little bit on whether or not you're talking about, the super flex element where we know that the super flex guys pull up and you have a lot of quarterbacks up there at the top. So that's one of the interesting things to try and determine too. When you're talking about trading the 104 away, it's not just that perhaps in this draft, we won't have any quarterbacks in those first three picks. Although by the time the draft is actually said and done, one of the things that Travis May mentioned on his overtime appearance recently is that after you clean it all up and you remove some of these patterns that aren't as representative, these quarterbacks actually look pretty good. And we know that guys are, or, or teams, franchises are going to be desperate as opposed to seeing the 
players where they're mocked now, we may actually see teams moving up to get the QBs as opposed to you look at the mock tracks now and you're like, oh, well, you can actually slide down and take your quarterback. I don't think that that's going to be the case later on. So we'll see where these guys go in the top three or four. But more in the fourth round, and one of the things too, I, I always refer back to a great article that Patrick Corrine wrote using the Fantasy Douches trade value calculator at the time and looking at how the trade values decline throughout this sort of time period and which players hold their value better. But you do find that draft picks have a lot of value. Rookies have a lot of value. Even for players who remain fairly solid, you see this decline in the trade value as players get older. And so one of the things that we're always looking at is this element of which players could you have in dynasty and hold and even if they have a bad season then they're going to retain a lot of that value so one of the things i'm looking here with more is that i just like you said i see two very positive signs one is that the redraft community is expecting a breakout right away and so if we're moving into a win now portion of time with a team then more makes sense on that team as opposed to being someone where we think we have to be patient for but the other element of it is that if Zach Wilson comes out and has another bad season, this much enthusiasm for more right now, I think creates such a high floor that a bad season for Elijah Moore, he's still going to have huge trade value the following year. And so he's somebody who, if you can get him, I think you want to get him on every single team just because of the way both the production and the trade value are there for this player there aren't a lot of guys who offer both things to you and allow you to do this sort of perpetual reloading idea where you want to have the, uh, the firepower to win and also your team reflecting a lot of trade value. So that's the thing that really jumps out to me is that with the projected breakout right now, you also want him on teams that are in the championship window. Now, you kind of look at our team and we've acquired the four first round picks and multiple second round picks for this draft. But one of the things that we see now is that these guys, we're, I think we're going to be able to do both, right? Where we have the players to win right away. We don't necessarily have to make a move for veterans. And then we can also stay very young. Is that the way you're feeling about it? I mean, one of the things is just, you see Travis Kelsey in a tight end premium and you're like, especially if we have a lot of picks, we could take a chance on a guy and still stay young. At the same time, you and I have discussed before, we had a Darren Waller trade opportunity that we discussed on the show. And we do have enough firepower with young tight ends that those trades, which I think are, are very positive trades to at least think about, maybe they don't appeal to us quite as much based on who our players are on the roster. Yeah, right. So we have Cole Komet and Pat Fryermuth and Mike Gesicki already on our roster. And so, you know, certainly Fryermuth looks like a star Komet, we're still pretty high on. That's a guy that we'll talk about plenty of this offseason. And Kasiki's been good. I mean, it's, that's a really good little tight end group. There's no, nothing elite there, but it's certainly not a, a roster that makes you scream you need to go trade for a Waller or a Kelsey, or maybe perhaps more aptly that those guys will give you this type of massive leverage or, or massive advantage at, a at that position when you already feel like you have these multiple shots at, you know, one of our tight ends might be the 2022 breakout tight end. And at that point, you know, you can just start both. You can flex a tight end and it's tight end premium and you're not really sacrificing that much. But I don't think we would would look back and be glad that we had made a deal for a Kelsey or a Waller necessarily. If, if to your point, I mean, we, we can kind of play it both ways. We can 
stay young and also try to win now. And, and if we were to hit on a young tight end who becomes the next star, it's like we didn't need to be trading for an aging tight end. When I when you first mentioned this trade to me, Kelsey and Jacobs, I was like, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, Travis Kelsey and tight end premium is a huge difference maker. And then also, I mean, Josh Jacobs is not chopped liver. <laughs> I mean, we treat him like he has sometimes in, in fantasy drafts. He's going in the sixth round early on. Was fifth in the NFL among all backs in receptions last year, which was sort of the knock on him. Now we have a new coach. He's used multiple backs. I, I think it's fair to be a little bit concerned about his usage and the ways that things will progress for him, whether he'll be able to continue to catch as many balls. But still, just Kelsey alone it's really interesting to consider. And then you start talking about Elijah Moore a little bit and, and where he's being valued in redraft. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, Kelsey is pretty old. I mean, one of the reasons you would trade for him is, is to, to try to win now. But as you talked about, we got to think about what, what happens with his value. And essentially if we trade for him now, we're talking about a guy whose value is only going to decline. He's 32. He turns 33 in October. And it's one of those things, one of the things I try to think about dynasties, like what is the probability that I can win my league this year, even if I have the perfect roster I want to put together? And it's still not massive, right? I mean, it's it's good. I can probably get my probability of winning my league up quite a bit, but it's not going to be like 50%. It's not, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're in a league of 12. There might be some teams that have no shot to win it. So maybe you're really only competing with six or seven other people. Maybe you're in a dynasty league that's been around for a few years and there's only like four true contenders, but still to, to think that going into a season, you'll have the health and all of the elements and the breakouts and the things you need to have, even to be able to think that you have a 50% win probability. I mean, you have to have a really, really, really good roster. And so if we're talking about Kelsey and acquiring him to try to win now, it's like, is it, I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously winning one championship would be amazing, but I don't know that I can bank on him to still be producing as he turns 34 the following year and he turns 35 the year after that. So how sure am I that we're going to then win in 2022 the entire league? Because we're kind of saying we're going to lose this pretty key piece, uh, you know, that's presumably going to help us quite a bit in 2022, but maybe won't be on a roster in 2024 or 2025, depending, you know, obviously the way the next few years play out for Kelsey and we hope that he plays till he's 40, but it is, it's interesting to kind of think through that. where like, it feels like he's going to make my team so much better this year. And at the same time, as you step back and you were just talking about Elijah Moore's career ahead of him and the one Oh four is going to have plenty of future value. And, and you talked about Pat's research, which showed us that whoever we draft is, you know, probably going to gain value after year one, but they, they only gain value after year one. Then basically every other year it goes down. And so that's a pick, whoever we pick, that's probably going to be worth more even next year. Kelsey's certainly not going to be. And so, yeah, I mean, as you sit there and you think through, I mean, th these are, you know, first grade level dynasty thoughts. I don't think I'm saying anything very novel, but as you sit, sit there and think through it, especially if Elijah Moore is viewed as he is in redraft and you look at the 104, I mean, suddenly I'm like, you know, when I first heard these names, it's like, oh man. Travis Kelsey and Josh Jacobs, that go a long way towards making us competitive this year. And then I think through it more and I'm like, there's no way I want to do this trade at all. I have no interest. 
Well, I think the point that you make that is interesting is we tend to think of the old players in terms of these guys maybe who are in the fourth or fifth round. And so there's already a little bit of that skepticism built in about can they even maintain it in the current year. And with Travis Kelsey, I think almost everyone is on board with him as a first round pick or if it's non-tight end premium, maybe an early second round pick. And so there's not much skepticism about 2022, which is why your point about how likely are you to win comes into play. Because even if you have the first round buy, which is what we're trying to build all of our teams to do, is to get that buy and not have to play in the quarterfinals. But you get that buy, you're still going to have to win twice, right? And when you play in the semifinals, you're in all likelihood going to have to play the healthiest and the sort of peaking team from the quarters. And so even though the teams in the quarters who don't have the buys are probably weaker, by virtue of the fact that they were able to win in the previous round, you're kind of selecting out the ones who are hurt and who are declining in that type of thing. So you're going to play a good team in the semis. you got to win against two good teams. So that right there gives you a sense of how even with a great team, you know, your chances are kind of locked in that range to where you're still probably not going to win. And that's one of the reasons why you want to have as many first round buys as many years as possible. And then if you're playing, you know, 10 leagues or something like that, you want to do it in every league. Because even the ones that you're the best in, you won't necessarily win. If you want to come out of that year with three, four, five titles, I mean, you simply have to be in that top group every year. And to do that, the trade assets are really important. Now, you mentioned the 104. And so it's interesting to think of, okay, well, what are people expecting from that type of player right now, just immediately in redraft. And we know that these guys are going to get more expensive after the combine, the players who hit, and then after the draft, the guys who land in good spots. But Ben, in my draft, we had, and this is maybe a little bit misleading when, when you're the team that actually drafted the rookies, maybe that doesn't completely represent where they are overall. But we took Hall at the 502. We took Burks at the 611. And then Spiller goes off at the 711, London at the 904, Wilson at the 908. So already right now, there are five players in the single digit rounds. And then Kenneth Walker, someone who is going early in round 10, at least some of the time, if he hits, I'm looking at the draft board that I did the other day, he went in the ninth as well. So yeah, I mean, maybe six. And there's at least a slight chance. I mean, I don't think it's likely, but a slight chance that he's the first running back off the board, or even if he's the third running back off the board, if he's off the board to the right team, to where he has less competition, I mean, he could end up being the top guy in redraft out of those three running backs. Yep. And then I... Looking further at my board, I see Jameson Williams in the, the 10th. And and we know these rookies, that's that's an interesting part of this discussion, the, the where the rookies fit in in these early ADPs and redraft, because we know as a as a group that they're likely, and, and they do every year, to rise in redraft ADP before a game is ever played. And so I think we can already bake some of that in mentally where – we're talking about five, six rookies going in the single-digit rounds already. You have the 104. In all likelihood, you're going to be taking a guy who is going to have a single-digit round ADP in his rookie season. Think back to last year. It was a better class, but you had Najee, you had Chase and Pitts, who were all superstars. Behind them, Devonta Smith was definitely still in the single-digit rounds. Jalen Waddell, Ronald Moore wasn't much later than that. Javante Williams was... was uh, certainly in this range and etn was before he got hurt yeah right before the season started he got up into the into the third round right and and etn was a fifth round pick or so before he got hurt 
So you had multiple running backs up there as well. Rashad Bateman, before he got injured, was in this 9-10 sort of range. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to to think through. This class is, is considered weaker, but the 104 is almost certainly going to be someone with a seventh round or eighth round redraft ADP, sort of at the worst. And, and so, uh, you know, looking at, you know, Kelsey, definitely I, I completely agree with your point that, you know, you're talking about a guy who is certainly by the market is judged to be a can't miss will help you in 2022. Now we know that's not a certainty, but, and I'm, I'm very comfortable taking him in anything that's redraft, but there is some risk that he could get injured. And especially for dynasty, that risk is actually like, I, I think the the person offering us this deal is pretty smart to try to be, try to be making this deal right now because with Kelsey, anything hap- happens to him, any kind of injury or anything this year, you're not just out on your your bet that you went and traded for him to try to win in Dynasty in 2022. You, you've lost all value. I mean, you're probably out on the, the entirety of his value for the, you know, the sort of the rest of his career. I mean, he's going to have value coming back from that injury at some point in the future, but there's going to be a completely different view of him the first season he doesn't complete, essentially, is the way that I would frame that. I don't know if I'm saying that the correct way, but I mean, look, look at Julio Jones, right? He had the the year in 2020. He only played nine games. He was looked at as like a fourth round pick the next year. He's not going to Travis Kelsey. First time he doesn't play 16 games. People are going to say, look how old he is. And he's going to go in the fourth or fifth round. He might make sense to draft at that point in, in redraft. He might make sense to draft at that point. We'll see. But the, the point is you are taking on a ton of risk and really, I mean, you can get in traps in dynasty looking too many years ahead, but really just kind of playing for this year because it, I mean, I, I think you're playing with fire there. If you're, if you're planning on him giving you, maybe you can, you can plan on him giving you two good years. I think you're playing with fire. If you're planning on him giving you three, four, anything in that range, right? Cause he's already going to be 33 this, this calendar year. Yeah. And he looks so good right now. And we have seen some tight ends play pretty well into their mid thirties. But as you mentioned, the problem is just that you can't rehab the value if you have any kind of hiccup, which you can for the young players. And you mentioned Julio Jones and falling into the fourth round. Well, then he had another year where he missed some time. And now he's in round 12, despite the fact that his age, based on you know some of the former elite wide receivers and his contract, which kind of locks him into some of these things. I mean, those are still in a range where you're like, okay, well, Julio Jones in the 12th round maybe that's a steal. And yet, I mean, he's in the 12th round. If people were more excited about him, I mean, it's interesting to me that he's at a four round discount, for example, to an Allen Robinson. Right. And so you kind of look at that and that tells you, I mean, I have Julio in this league that Curtis and I are doing a a former pros versus Joe's league. And I mean, obviously he has no dynasty trade. Right. And so you're, you're kind of looking at that element of it. Hey, Rotoviz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year Rotoviz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Then a couple of the other guys who are really interesting here and maybe have different dynasty values than I was thinking. I mean, the number one is just, you know, you mentioned Jalen Waddle and where he was last year. We were kind of fortunate to be on him because we do want to always get some exposure to the rookies. And we had picks in a range where he was the guy who made sense ADP wise instead of Will Fuller. Obviously that was a a massive win since Fuller didn't end up staying healthy. We were, we like Fuller and, and probably still like Fuller. That was one where good fortune definitely smiled upon us. You look at some of the guys along with him though. And, and one of the things is I think it's easy to portray it as like all of the guys are successful. And that's obviously not true. We know that the rookie success rates are lower than sometimes it's intuitive, but you can get back out of these players after their rookie seasons without a huge value loss in many cases. And that I think is the deal. And then when you do get these risers, that's where you get so much of the value for your team. So like Amon Ross St. Brown, he was at the 510, Devontae Smith at the 512. Um, I think that Devontae is an interesting guy even earlier than that. If you think that the Eagles are going to expand their passing attack, Kadarius Tony, somebody who just, again, kind of depending on your perspective, either had a fantastic rookie season or a terrible rookie season, but definitely an inconsistent and injured rookie season. Uh, Colum and Zach and I, we were the ones who actually took at the 702. So again, and, and that's within the range that he norm- he's normally going, which is why we took him there. Drafters are betting on those guys, giving you starting lineup types of value right away this year. Yeah, he went... 612 and the one I'm looking at, Tony. And yeah, I thought, thought that was funny the way you put that. You, you can look at it anywhere from a terrible year to a fantastic year. Um, he, he was a guy that it's kind of hard to, I don't even know how to figure him out, but we've taken him recently as well. Uh, over on ship chasing, he had a massive targets per out run in year one, which was something that I wrote about 
over at Stealing Signals a couple of weeks back. It's it's certainly interesting to look at. I mean, this, I, I feel like I could just look at this early ADP. It, it it just feels foreign. It looks like a foreign language to me. Where I there's a lot of guys that I think are maybe too high or or too low or these things, but certainly there's a lot that can be gleaned there, and there's probably some pretty big discrepancies. I have not looked at a good startup ADP, so apologies. I should have I should have more information to to, to pass out, but. There's, there's got to be some big gaps here. And it is, I just think, broadly a point to drive home again that it's really worth looking at early redraft ADP and, and considering the way that the dynasty community is valuing these players. And we talk about getting out of players who maybe had some strengths and weaknesses. And with this idea of perpetual reloading, you're going to actually want to trade guys with value. And that's one of the things that I recommend to anybody who is trying to rebuild their team actually go out there and make offers and make aggressive offers right don't give these guys away you, you want to give yourself a starting point from which you can come down a little bit and still get the value you're looking for but trade people who are young trade people who are actually really interesting to other league members you'll establish yourself as having this reputation for making interesting and fun trades and being someone who is fun to deal with the other name that just jumps out to me here rashad bateman somebody who uh even with the Ravens going much more pass heavy doesn't exactly have a superstar rookie season. He's the middle of round eight, right? And the middle of the round eight within the context of Mark Andrews is there, Marquise Brown. And we know Marquise Brown had so many high profile drops, but the fact of the matter is that Marquise Brown gets open, right? And so you got these other target contenders within an offense that could really slide back in terms of pass volume. And you're, and you're still talking round eight, Right. So if you have Bateman, I mean, he's somebody I think it's interesting to both buy and sell. I mean, you want to have the offers out there and maybe in these two for twos or three for threes where maybe your interest in Bateman is camouflaged a little bit by the fact that you put him within this group that includes other players. But see if you can acquire him at the same time on teams where you already have him. See how much you can get. Because it may be something where you can take a little bit of the risk off the table by getting two really interesting pieces and continuing that reloading process with someone like Bateman, who again, I mean, people are already betting on having a good second year. He's he went seven seven oh one in the one that I'm looking at. So even significantly higher than what you were saying in the middle of the eighth round. That I mean, that's a great example of one where I was saying that this is sort of foreign to me. Like that that's crazy to me. He's going higher than last year. I think he was a fantastic prospect, but he was banged up. They threw a ton more. He came in, played a little bit, didn't really earn targets at that great of a rate. I mean, not a really great showing for him. And then you're you're in an offense that maybe they continue to pass at this rate. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a hard time not that we're that we're drafting him higher in redraft than we were last year. Like that that's that's a hard thing for me. So one of our guys here, Ben, Rondell Moore, the 10-02. I'm still optimistic that his role will shift, that he will break out, that he's going to offer a combination of the occasional vertical play and fantastic intermediate production with good run after the catch. But that does consider the prospect profile. It does consider this projection 
of believing that the Cardinals will make decisions that we like in terms of how they run their offense. So the main point is that even at the 10.02, there's a lot of projection there. Are you surprised that someone who was you know, more or less a universal disappointment is going in the first 10 rounds? Well, in the draft that I keep referencing, I took him in the late ninth. So, uh, no, so you're I can't on say board. That I'm I, on board. Yeah, yeah I, I'm on board. I mean, so number one, Christian Kirk is a free agent. Number two, Ronald Moore actually earned volume at a really good per route rate. So, like I just said, Bateman didn't. Bateman, I think, was in the 17% of routes he was targeted on range, which is like okay. Moore was like 24%, which is like a, approaching elite, frankly. Now, there's major caveats there. One, he was in a part-time role where they were manufacturing him touches close to the line of scrimmage. Some of those are, you know, going down as targets per route, but some of them are, you know, jet motion tip passes or short passes or whatever. Two, he had almost no air yards to, to speak of, which is the, the huge talking point around Rondell Moore. And so even a really high target rate doesn't necessarily equate to massive fantasy points when all those targets are coming so close to the line of scrimmage. And then I would even add a third one, which is that he didn't have a ton of target competition when he was playing a little bit more later in the season. Not a ton, but you had, you know, Hopkins missing a lot of time. You had Antoine Wesley out there with A.J. Green and Kirk. And I mean, if you're good, you should be earning targets when you're running routes with those types of guys. Having said all of that, it's not a bad thing. It's And then we always talk about the long view. This guy was a really productive receiver as a true freshman at Purdue. Didn't play a ton the next couple of years but very good age-adjusted production in college. Everyone hates that he's short. He is physically tested out of this world, right, and and can bench and squat the earth and is blazing fast. I mean, yes, he's not huge, but he's thick. And, I mean, I'm still buying the Steve Smith comps. I think he, he also made some plays down the field earlier in the season. I think people are sort of underrating that possibility it's one of those things of like, okay, what, is he a, you know, he may be a big miss player, but I, I definitely think there's, you know, we talk about the little miss big hit players. There's definitely big hit potential. And the big hit for more is he does get some air yards. He has to start to get the stuff down the field. Everyone wants to talk about the next Debo Samuel. I don't think Ronald Moore is the next Debo Samuel, but it's similar in profile to how Debo needed to start to get some air yards. And then in 2021, he started to actually get, some downfield passes in addition to all of that work around the line of scrimmage. Now Debo added so much more to that. All of his after the catch ability, his rush ability, all of those things. Moore's not going to be able to do all of that stuff. But it, it was really helpful when you already have this base level high target rate around the line of scrimmage and your team is willing to use you like that, that if you start to get some of those air yards, suddenly you're getting a lot of targets. And you do need those downfield looks, but suddenly you're you're getting the ball in your hands enough that you like, I think there's a big hit possibility for more. If we see those air yards, right. It's just that, that one part of it. Do we get to see that part of it? And I understand there's concern that we have not seen yet. We didn't see in the rookie year, but Christian Kirk is a free agent. He's out whining and dining with Josh Allen. If he leaves the whole issue with more was that he was playing so many of the snaps in the slot. And so was Kirk. They didn't want to kick Kirk outside. They only did it one week. And when they did more played a lot more in that game. But later on, they kept playing Wesley outside opposite A.J. Green and Kirk in the slot, Kirk in the slot, Kirk in the slot. If Kirk walks, and I think th the way that they view more as a slot, and I mean, I think they, from a roster perspective, have to be like, we drafted more in the second round, and Kirk is kind of blocking him. 
And Kirk's probably going to get some interest on the free agency market. Why would they match a big deal? I just I think they're going to let Kirk walk. And Moore's going to be the every down slot guy. And he's going to get some air yards this year. That's what I think is the most likely sort of outcome. There's a there's several other possibilities. Certainly, there's possibilities where Kirk's back and Moore's still getting more playing time. And there's possibilities where Kirk's back and Moore's not getting that role and he's continuing to be pigeonholed. Or even that Kirk walks and he's still getting pigeonholed. But if Kirk does go... First thing will happen is probably that Moore's snap rate will be up a lot higher because he'll probably have the slot role. You have to think that would come with some more downfield looks because he was sort of just used situationally last year. And I, if he gets that with everything else that we have on his profile, I mean, I, I, just, I think there's definitely big hit year two potential. I, I don't know. I want to take him in every draft right now. I think the ninth, tenth round, he's a fantastic target. Yeah, you've got me very excited for him going through – sort of how you see them him there and and i couldn't agree more it is interesting as i listen to you kind of explore those scenarios that once we get into this round 10 range we're probably looking at it a little bit differently and there's almost this flip where once we get into the round 10 11 12 then the difference between redraft and dynasty almost goes the opposite direction where in redraft you're like i can stomach a miss for this year but in Dynasty, if you're making the move to acquire someone like a Rondell Moore and you have to pay a price based on that, you're thinking, okay, but can I stomach a miss for good? And if it's in the round 10 and people miss on him, then where is his value going to be? So that part of it, interesting too, in that the redraft ADPs almost give us kind of this framework to think about players in terms of who's going to have value even if they miss and then who are the players where people really only are willing to take the risk on them for a one year and they're really going to collapse. And so then my next question for you is about some of these third year guys, because. Well, let me, let me comment on that real quick. Cause I think it's a really great point. Like what you're saying is it's not a straight line thing because we're probably not going to have a lot of year two players unless they're Jamar chase going in the first round. We're not going to, or, or obviously rookies. We're probably not going to have a lot that had good profiles and there was reason to be excited about them after just one bad year falling all the way down into like the 15th round. So I, I think it's really interesting the way that you're, you're, you're essentially saying like to keep in mind what the opinion was of them before last year as well, because that's going to pull them back either direction. But there's it's not really a straight line thing. It's like the fourth round for Elijah Moore is really good because he's moved up quite a bit and people are buying in. The 10th round for Rondell Moore, 9th, 10th round, not much different than last year. And there was reason to really be excited about him as a player. And it's pretty evident that people are not buying in where they are, even with Bateman has moved up, even though he hasn't done much. Right. So we're, we're like, it's not a, a linear thing from the fourth round to the 10th round or from the first round to the final round of, of redraft ADP. It's really in this kind of strike zone of the fourth round to the 10th round. If you're getting these guys getting pushed all the way up there before they've really shown anything, that's that's showing the enthusiasm in this fourth, fifth round range. And if they're back, you know, around ten, there's not a lot of enthusiasm, right? Yeah, and or that that the round ten ones are going to be very volatile, and so we have to consider that as we make these moves. These guys, a little bit even more so than say a Bateman, you want to both buy and sell, see where the values are, and then see where your own individual team is in terms of what you actually have to offer and does it make sense to add one more very volatile player to it then there's so much crazy stuff here and, and, and so much great info in terms of what we might be looking at from a dynasty perspective and that extends then to a few of these third year guys 
right? Where we have a Michael Pittman at the end of the fifth round. We have a Gabriel Davis, you know, mid six. We have a Brandon Ayuk falling into late six. You have Jerry Judy coming off of a season where he struggled, he was injured, and now he's got multiple guys with big contracts, you know, perhaps in front of him or perhaps just siphoning some of the value off. How are you feeling about some of the key third-year players in terms of what the market is telling us about how much they need to prove, how volatile they might be, and where they're likely to go based on expectations again, with how that fits into the context of what they've already done and where people are anchored a little bit on these dynasty values. Well, with the third year guys, we're another year on, right? Where if they haven't really shown us elite upside yet, I mean, you're you're one step closer to like, if they have a, a really bad season, their value sort of bottoming out. I mean, at a certain point, the market is going to be like, this guy's not good anymore. And then at a certain point, they could potentially be by lows or whatever. But the hype runs out at, at at a point um and so yeah guys like i you can judy you said you know they're falling a little bit from where they were in drafts last year and that's interesting in, in a dynasty perspective that i mean what happens if they have another bad year is the way that i would put it. i think i a good example i mean we we know some of the early off season the early season stuff was related to off-field stuff or you know not not trying hard in practice or whatever it was he gets on the field and he doesn't actually have as good of a year as he had in year one in terms of sort of the ability to be a, a difference maker with his snaps and all of that. Some of what he did in year one was when, you know, Debo was banged up. I, it was interesting going into to last year, that Debo Ayuk comparison. And there's a lot of people that said you can't compare them essentially that, that Ayuk was actually clearly better because he has more air yards in these things. I mean, I, I think even if you were looking at them somewhat similarly, we're certainly not now, right? We're certainly looking at after what we saw in 2021 that Debo was a much better player. If Ayuk has another year where he's sort of the second fiddle and doesn't really produce in those things, at what point do people start saying? I mean, they were already saying it last year. They're saying like Dante Pettis, stuff like that, right? I mean, had a good rookie year and then didn't do anything else. People will start to draw these lines and these conclusions to other busts, and and suddenly the hype is sort of run run out. I think it's tough with guys going into this stage that haven't really done it yet. And we don't really know if they can play. I mean, I, I don't know. I, by the time they're two years in and haven't really done much, I don't want to be necessarily buying them in Dynasty unless I feel really confident about some of the underlying stuff. And I feel like I can hold for multiple years like DJ Moore. It's always about DJ Moore. Yeah, you mentioned Ayuk and Judy one of the things that we're definitely getting here is a sort of new central point for where they're going to be valued. And we can tell it's going to be a little bit more difficult to move the needle north. And with London and Wilson, for example, positioned so closely behind them in some of these leagues, it's going to be very easy for them to jump not only next year in redraft ADP, but to be clearly ahead of them in dynasty. And so the ADP is telling us that a little bit. I think that that part is interesting. It's also something now where because those guys are going to have to have huge seasons, we look at this scenarios a little bit differently. One of the things I think with Ayuk and Judy that, that do jump out is that you have 
the drafters who are ended up taking them are taking them almost to compromised positions where we still kind of expect them to be well above or well below that. We wouldn't necessarily expect them to come out with these kind of mediocre seasons. We expect Trey Lance to either be a star and IU benefit and probably rise, or it be not exactly a failure, but an offense that doesn't support receivers in which IU craters. The same thing I think is similar with Judy, where he either emerges and becomes the number one there in an offense that ideally has a star QB, but at least has an upgraded QB, or they're kind of very mediocre again offensively, and he has a hard time separating from Cortland Sutton, and he underperforms that. I, I would be surprised if they hit that, but I think the people are still looking at those guys as being players who are almost 2023 players. And again, that part is interesting from a dynasty perspective because I, I look at some of these early round picks and I try and imagine which players are kind of worth the 101 and how many players would be above the 101. And it's this intersection of positional value, but then also youth that, that jumps in very clearly. And again, you, you see just such a skewing towards the youth, I think. And so you know, maybe again, to kind of give us this sense of our picks in that three, four range, four picks in the first round, but then listeners who have the 101 or who have the two, 102. As you look at your board from your draft on Monday, where do you see the players that you think would be sort of a clear mark that these guys are all above the 101, that you would not be able to trade the 101 to get them? Yeah, that's tough. I, I mean, I'm going to spin that back to you. You're way better with dynasty values. Where do you, where where does that mark come in for you? I think it's going to come in in that early second round. I'm looking at Javante Williams, and again, he's one of these guys who has such a wide range of outcomes for 2022 that it's interesting to see his redraft position. He's currently in that early second round, and a lot of the things I'm seeing, I think that he's going to end up rising. I think there are more scenarios in which he rises to the top six than that he stays put or falls. And I definitely don't think that you're going to be able to get him with any individual rookie pick in this draft. Now, there are some players who went above him. One of the things about this Josh Jacobs trade offer is that I think that he's probably undervalued just across the board in the middle of the fifth round in this draft and redraft. I mean, that's an undervaluation. I was looking at these guys for my running back tiers article and Joe Mixon in the first round. I, now Mixon and Akers went earlier in this particular draft. I think they're normally going, but I think there's actually very little difference between Mixon and Jacobs. And so we probably want to look at making a counter offer on the Jacobs part. The issue with that particular trade is that he's not really being offered to us at a discount there because Travis Kelsey also probably doesn't pull back as much kind of after we went through the logic of it with more with the 104. But we see some of these kind of mid-career running backs. You could get them for the 101. Someone like Stefan Diggs, who's going early to mid-second round, I think that you can get him for the 101. You're obviously not going to be able to get the young wide receivers Okay, I was gonna say, are you saying that are are you saying AJ Brown for the one on one? And and I'm glad that you noted that. So then, what would someone have to give you to get an AJ Brown? He is their whole roster, their entire roster. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. What about CD Lamb, Jalen Waddle, guys going sort of at the two three turn? Yeah, those are those are tricky ones. 
again, I I don't know that I'm the the best at dynasty trades. I was going to ask you sort of a similar question about the offer that we got, which was the Kelsey Jacobs package. Would you take that for the 104? I think probably you would for Elijah Moore, right? Because I'm kind of wondering, and I, I we don't want to criticize the trade offer too much in case the, the the person who asked it to us was listening. But like, let's give. I, I wanted to give the people your your real thoughts on this trade. If we broke it up, would we take Kelsey and Jacobs for the 104, and would we take them for Elijah Moore? I know that's sounds a little bit presumptuous, but I don't think I would want to do either of those deals. Yeah, it's just so hard because I am so oriented toward this idea of trying to maximize the trade value. And you say, look, I mean, this is a, a very fair, and one of the reasons why I never like to criticize trade offers where they're legitimate trade offers. Obviously, you get a lot of offers just, you know, kind of seeing, you know, where you might be on somebody. It's more of an informational exchange than a real offer. That's a little bit different. You know, I've made trades that turned out to be absolutely horrible. I've declined trades where six months later, you're like, <laughs> I mean, if I made that trade, then uh, you know I'd be set for years. But you, you do have to look at your whole body of trades and not fixate on the ones that don't work. And you have to be very open with the people that you're interacting with, that it's your valuation and not that it's a bad trade that, that you're declining the offer because you're wanting to go back and work with them on some of these. That's a, that's a tricky question. I was kind of trying to think, you know, if, if we were looking at, you know, the 104 for CD lamb, where would you go? Because sitting there probably with Wilson or London, and we'll have more information just, you know, in the very near future after these guys have tested a little bit in most cases, but Lamb has already come off of a second season that was very disappointing. And again, I mean, Lamb is somebody that Colum and Zach and I took at 211 and we took instead of the, the tight end that we actually needed. And so you can tell that we're very high on them, but at the same time, the open-endedness of the potential for these young wide receivers, I think is so intriguing. The other part of it though, is you can get too high in expectations, right? I mean, CeeDee Lamb has already proven he can obviously play at the NFL level. So you have to be very much in the direction of wide range of outcomes to go for the rookie pick in that case. I mean, we took him at the wide receiver nine. I mean, how likely are even the really good prospects to very quickly be above the wide receiver nine. So you're looking at it from that perspective, but again, Elijah Moore, very explosive in the handful of opportunities. One of the things that we're seeing here too, I think, which is interesting and kind of cool, Ben, is that for Elijah Moore to be that high, people, have to be starting to understand prospect analysis better and have to be including that more in their projections for year two. One of the things that was interesting when JJ came on OT recently was he was talking about his year two model, which includes the project profile. I think that that's something you know that you and I have always done and that Rotoviz has always done in terms of including that portion of it when we're projecting year two where I think in the past, even to very recently, there's been this exploitable opportunity because all players were looked at the same entering year two. It's just, you know, what did you do as a rookie? That part of it is cool. And that's the part where, again, I just, you know, I don't know that I could move more for two pieces, even two very good pieces, if one of them is old and one of them is a position that doesn't retain its value. I mean, 
you look at this and you've got the this really cool tension that exists in all of fantasy, but especially in dynasty between tight end and running back, which are harder to fill and wide receiver, which is the position you want the most of and also holds its value better. So when we're talking about how do we build this dynasty team that's far better than the best possible redraft team, that tension really comes into play with this particular trade offer. That was a long winded way of not answering the question. No, no, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to move more. Just, you can't do it. You can't, can't do, do it. it. Can't do it. Jay, I, when you asked about lamb and waddle, cause I, I just skirted a question as well. I agree with you on some of the lamb stuff. I think I would take the one Oh four over lamb. I mean, I think there's this tendency to feel like lamb's very, very good. And we're just hoping that the one Oh four can be very good. You know, that idea that that prospect can also miss or what have you. And it's, it's always more nuanced than that. Like, yes, there is a lot of uncertainty with that player. We don't even know who that player is. And that's just an element of trying to compare a player who's already played at the NFL level to a player who hasn't even been drafted yet. But on one hand, I want to be like, you got to be able to have a little bit of confidence in your processes in your evaluation, you know, the rookies. And we feel pretty good about at least four of them. On the other hand, the reason it's a little bit more complex than that is we do have more information on Lamb. I've I've defended him a little bit already this offseason, but we have not seen him yet elite. Fantastic. And and he's been very, very good. But to be frank, his profile suggested he could have been better to this point. That is, you have to factor that in. I mean, that that does at least lower the probability that he's a superstar some. Maybe not a ton, but some. Because if he's an absolute superstar, probably we would have seen superstar things already. Maybe not even probably, but, you know, sort of given the circumstances he's been in. But I do think we can't just ignore the fact that we haven't quite seen the ceiling that we think is there yet. And and then conversely, obviously, yes, there's this wide range of outcomes for this undrafted rookie prospect, big question mark. But there is a probability or a possibility, not a probability, that, that that player is immediately in year one a superstar, which is, um, you know, it's not something you want to be betting on. But like that, that uncertainty runs both ways is the point that I'm trying to drive home. I mean, I think it'd be close, certainly, if I was looking at Lamb versus the 104, but I'm, you also mentioned Waddle. I think I would take Waddle over the 104 because I think all we saw from Waddle last year was really, really good. I think I would be higher on Waddle right now than Lamb as we're talking through this. In redraft as well? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, he's he's very similar to what we discussed with Rondell Moore, except for he was even better. I expect that some of the downfield stuff and some of the explosiveness to manifest with his profile as well. But he also just really dominated targets underneath. Like we saw something this past year that when you look at him holistically and everything that he can offer as a receiver, you know, he can win downfield. He can do, you know, create explosive plays. We didn't see that in his rookie season. I don't buy that. He's never going to be that guy, but the fact that he can dominate targets underneath. Now I know that as well. And it wasn't just gimme targets like more as much as running routes, you know, uh, there's a slight difference. Like they both had low a dots, but a lot of Moores were right around the line of scrimmage. A lot of waddles were at least like five yards down the field where you had to run into coverage a little bit. Uh, catching balls over the middle, some of those things. 
I didn't know how I, I didn't know he'd be that good at that in year one. And the fact that we saw that to me, I'm like, there's not a ton more projecting. I feel like I need to do to feel like this guy's going to be at least a high floor, floor player with really, really high ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, you could get a quarterback upgrade, even if that's just two of progressing, you know, you can get perhaps a better wide receiver too, who doesn't really drag the volume, but helps with some of the defensive attention. And we saw, you can get progression from him and, and even just something as simple as his contested catches in some situations last year, I thought were a little disappointing. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out and performs much better in that element of it as all of those extra catches, you know, runs after the catch with that and, and is a star. One of the things that kind of jumped out to me as you were talking about lamb is this idea as he goes into his third year, I mean, some of the things he hasn't done, one of the reasons why we still like him and consider him as a potential late second, early third round pick is the uncertainty and is the possibility as a third year player, he will make that leap. And that part of it though, as you kind of contrast it with the rookie is you get that with both right with the rookie you also have that sort of uncertainty so with Liam, this idea that he's in a third year player and is being drafted so early it's not necessarily though because of his production and so you, you have that with both players the rookie is younger and i think that kind of as you mentioned that london and wilson are better prospects than sometimes they're given credit for which kind of brings me to my last question which is are you trading 2023 picks for 2022 picks maybe when you don't have them we know that that is sort of the controversial or the provocative sort of move here where so many people are saying move your 2022 picks 2023 is a lot better does that perhaps open an exploitable opportunity where some of these prospects are undervalued if you can get up high enough especially you know get rid of some of those 2023 picks move that value onto your roster right now I like that. I mean, there's a lot that can happen with projecting forward next year's class. I mean, we, we joke about it every year, but it's always that next year's class is better, or maybe not always, but it feels that way. Things can happen in the classes. Not everybody declares that people are projecting key injuries or, or underperformances, and those prospects don't quite look as good. I mean, we've talked about Justin Ross. I really like him because he was so good as a rookie. He had more yards than, than T. Higgins in the Clemson offense as a freshman. He had more yards than, than T. Higgins in the Clemson offense. And yet he's like an afterthought in this class a couple of years later because of you know some pretty serious injuries that he that he you know incurred. I, I, I kind of like the idea of, you know, we're starting as you and I have talked more, we're starting to feel pretty comfortable with these top names in the 2022 class. You get to make that bet now. You get to see them in the NFL now. You could potentially realize that value now if you do hit. If you miss, you miss, but like you can miss anywhere, uh, especially when you don't know where that pick is going to wind up. I mean, it's a question of, I, I don't, I'm not a pros, I'm not a Devi guy or a huge prospect guy. I don't know how strong the 2023 class actually is. I don't know where, even if you're high on some of these dudes in the 22 class where they would slot into the 2023 class. But you, I, I, I think the interesting part is that you get this extra year. There is uncertainty that can also happen with the 2023 class where it's viewed so favorably. It can only basically get worse if someone doesn't declare that's expected to or, you know, injuries happen or whatever. I, I kind of don't expect it to be viewed even more positively next year than it is now. It's, it feels almost impossible. And we know chaos 
I mean, it happens in football period. It's going to happen in the college football season next year as well. And then the flip side of you get to actually see your player play this year and, and make something of that. I mean, those, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I would take a top four pick in the 2022 draft over a random 2023. And it seems like, like you said, most people wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe getting into the top four, it's a little bit more of a, a difficult question, but I do think that you perhaps can get some of those top picks if you're willing to kick in some other pieces that maybe are not crucial to your overall roster development. And so you can move into the top that way. You know, you mentioned these the guys getting hurt, players getting injured. All you have to do is go back and look at how much the class that theoretically had, you know, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, you know, gets weaker when those guys don't declare at their first opportunity. You look at George Pickens and Justin Ross and how their injuries have impacted some different classes. I mean, right now, this class would look a lot better if Pickens had played healthy because perhaps he would be the 101. And then you're moving those guys down. Whereas now, you know, he's probably in that, you know, 110 to 206 range, sort of depending on where he actually goes in the reality draft. So there are a lot of things that can change. And I think it makes sense to take advantage of that in certain specific scenarios. And then, you know, you look, what, well, how do you do that? And you look at your individual teams that have 2023 picks and don't have 2022, you find some good matches. It's not something where you're going to go out and take advantage of your league mates. It's something where you're going to go out and see where you have fits. And if you have league mates who have a lot of 2022, so you and I have some leagues together where we have a lot of 2022s. I have some other leagues where I don't have as much 2022 and have more 2023. And as you go through your individual league, you're going to find different places where that's the case. If you have some managers in your league where they actually have a ton of 2022 and can't even fit all of those guys onto their roster, then yeah, I mean, you want to go out there and make fair trade offers to them and see if you have a good fit for balancing that element out. So I think too, again, I mean, I say this a lot, but I think this element of not looking at it as taking advantage of someone, but figuring out how your individual team needs can be met and also help the other manager, that element of it combined with this idea of maybe 2022 is undervalued. I, I sort of like that. So would you do like the 106 for a 2023? I mean, there's also always this idea of like, you're projecting whether it's going to be a late or an early or a mid or whatever based on the strength of the, you know, the team offering the 2023, but let's just say it was a random one or it looked like a middle of, of the pack 2023. Would you do like a one Oh six in 2022 for that? I, I probably wouldn't because I'm higher, I think on the 2022 draft and also higher on having some of these picks now and letting all the hits rise and you have that extra value and then moving some of the misses and keeping your favorite misses with the idea that hopefully some of them rehab their value. But if you get some really good offers, I think you, I think we still get into rookie drafts and a lot of people are going to see a guy that they like in the first round and they're going to want to move to that player. And at that point, then I think you can move the 2022 for 2023 first round plus. I think you always have to come out on the better end of it from a time perspective. And I mean, you and I have a lot of picks and we would like to end up actually moving some of those, but we're not going to move them at a discount on the idea that 2023 is so much better 
that we're going to sell these current guys. And at the very least, we're not going to do it until the draft itself, where we get a sense of what the real market is. I think there's a danger of selling your 2022s too early. I Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I asked that somewhat confusingly, but you're saying you would, it, like, let's say you knew you had the 2023-106. You already knew that. You would rather have the 2022-106, even with this knowledge that the 2023 class is better. And that might not be true at every draft slot, but the 106 is just because it's probably not true at 101 because we do think the the premium 2023 prospects are probably a little bit better, right? Yes. And I think that's that's very that's a very good way to look at it. And in part, we don't know how deep it's going to go. You don't know who's going to bust in their final season. Now, not everybody who busts in their final season ends up being a bad player. You know, Juju <laughs> busted in his final season before declaring and then comes out and has these two amazing years. So sometimes you end up getting those guys at a great value then because they bust in their final season. But it is going to affect the, where they're drafted and how much they cost. And so it, maybe if it's something as simple as moving into round two, I think the area that I would be a little that, that I'm interested in the way that people play it is that if you can get the second half of the 2023 first, those might be a little overpriced. But if you can get those seconds, we talk about Superflex all the time and how accumulating as many seconds as possible is really valuable because of the way the QBs move picks down. The other part of it, just to you know, kind of throw it out and, and to think about is this idea of how good are some of those teams legitimately going to be? And we can be overconfident in where teams are going to fall at this point. And sometimes the teams that are the win now, that are the championship level teams are actually a little bit thinner. They're more susceptible to injuries. You know, I had a, a league that I was doing where, again, this is very lucky that you managed to have uh, the actual string happen to where no one has one of these big weeks and outscores you. But I ended up over the course of the last couple of years, I think winning 20 consecutive weeks which I mean, it's the only league where I've ever had, you know, an undefeated season. And the fact that it stretched, you know, even well beyond that, I mean, it's very lucky on a, you know, weekly win-loss basis, but won a couple of titles. And then, you know, you have the stuff crop up with Alvin Kamara. You have the stuff crop up with Calvin Ridley. You have the Michael Thomas situation. And suddenly your team just changes dramatically overnight. Now I'm still optimistic that, you know, perhaps <laughs> I can move that team around and make it better. But I mean, this was the, the not after you I beat everyone to... 20 times in a row, they're not going to trade with you anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> you always want to throw in some bad trades and then really publicize those. Well, that was one of my favorite <laughs> things. I mean, the fantasy douche had so many really cool articles from a substantive perspective. And then even like, some of his articles that were a little bit funnier were still substantive in that, you know, he's like, these people who brag about their trades are really doing it wrong. It's like the main thing I do is I always remind everybody that I trade with of those trades where they really got me because you want that to be the thing that's front and center, you know, not where you, you pulled off these trades. So, I mean, sage advice is always from him. So Ben, we will leave it right there. I, you can't keep going after you brought in Frank's excellent work. We're going to stop. That'll be the end of our Dynasty Trade Value based on Redraft ADP episode. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Sign up for the Fantastic Stealing Signals newsletter, as Ben mentioned. He's got some really cool uh, targets per route info that he's discussed and has some cool articles coming up. 
if you are looking to subscribe to Rotoviz and we'd love to have you join us, you can get a 10% discount by using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. You can also get some discounts if you buy the Rotoviz Rookie Guide right now. Travis May recently on Overtime, he's doing a lot of great draft content for us. You'll get everything from him and the rest of the guys with that. Ben and I love having you. You'll get these episodes as soon as they come out. If you subscribe to our feed, that'll allow you to get the episodes even when the tempo is a little bit different over this time period here early in the season. And just once again, I mentioned the ratings and reviews, but you guys have been absolutely fantastic there. We appreciate everything you've done for us. If you've left us a review in the past and obviously don't want to spend a lot of time with it, you just refresh that and it helps with the algorithm. we got a lot of great content coming up for you guys soon, and we'll talk to you later in the week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.